Thank you for taking time to listen to this week's message from First Orlando. You can find even more content, including video archives of this and other past messages at firstorlando.com. And if you're in the Orlando area, be sure to visit us sometime soon. Now, enjoy this podcast from First Orlando. I took on that belief that I was being punished by God just for existing. God was going to punish me until the day I died. Everything I was doing was illegal. I broke the law all the time, but I didn't really have a choice in that. I would either break the law or face physical harm. As long as I complied and did everything that they asked, I didn't have the physical repercussions of saying no. I'm from St. Petersburg, Florida, but I was trafficked mostly out of Tampa, Florida. I have been a victim of human trafficking for more than 20 years of my life. My story begins really when I was like eight years old and my mom took me and my sister from school. She started to exchange us. My mom was selling us to child pornography, selling my body for an exchangement of goods and drugs and cash or the things that she needed. I was underage. So what that looked like is that I would be arrested, I would be safe for 21 days in JDC, and then given back to my mom. I couldn't leave. As time went on, we were exchanged to other people. By the time I was 16, I, I was purchased, and I was treated as a commodity to the time I was 31. There are so many people, there's children and adults that are stuck in exploitation right now in our city and they don't know how to get out. One More Child has a bunch of different departments where we serve vulnerable children and struggling families. One of the programs is our anti-trafficking team. We do things like respond in the middle of the night when law enforcement recovers a survivor. I tried to escape a couple of times and that wasn't really successful for me because I didn't have the resources. Because I had these criminal charges, I couldn't get a job, I couldn't get a place in my own name. My legal problems actually kept me being trafficked for years. Whenever I didn't do what they said, they would call my probation officer, they would have me back at court, I would do my time in jail. I was actually helpless. When a survivor's leaving the life or beginning to even think about leaving the life, they need resources like housing, food, until they can find a job. Most of my life, I've always felt alone. People wouldn't have anything to do with us and unless they were taking from me sexually or harming me physically. There were some really hard times and I know it wasn't me that got me through to the other side. If it wasn't for God, I would be dead. All of us at One More Child understand that no healing can happen separate from Jesus. And so that is the undertone of every single thing we do, providing love to survivors. My trafficker was a lot older than I was and he suffered from a stroke. And 
I was bringing him to do some of his physical therapy and in that he was emotionally abusing me and there was a lady who owned the gym and she's just like, Misty, I don't know what you're trying to earn forgiveness for, but God doesn't have you earn forgiveness like this. That man doesn't care about you or love you, but God does. And I thought about it for hours. I brought him home and I was preparing his meal and I was just like, I'm leaving. And within two weeks, I was gone. In Alaska, they didn't use the same background screenings and things like that, so I was able to obtain like normal jobs and get places to live. And I was 31, the last time I ever had to do anything for anyone that I didn't want to do. Misty has used a life of hardships, exploitation, being called a commodity by people, and she's decided that that's not gonna be the story for herself. She's taken her voice back and she's decided to use all of the awful things that have happened to her and use that to connect with survivors um, and help them find their own voice. I am a peer mentor for One More Child and I am doing that now so that way I may support others to regain their freedom much sooner than I regained mine. I wouldn't have had to stay in my trafficking circumstances if I had a team like One More Child where my case manager was helping me find jobs, finding safe places to live, helping me provide for you know food and shelter as I gained the things that I needed. That showed me that there were organizations that actually cared about people um, that were going through and suffering some of the experiences that I was having and then that there was hope and that they could be free from these things, just like me. Because of the contribution of First Orlando, survivors that wouldn't be connected to services otherwise are connected to resources. I'm actually receiving help. Those contributions really makes a difference in terms of healing and finding some peace. And the only reason why I have a therapist or even remotely having emotional healing is because someone generously donated their funds. There's power in community and that's what these contributions do. They provide a community for survivors. Misty's story is, is horrific. It's unimaginable. It's her life experience. Um, but we're not left without hope because you've seen the transformation take place in Misty's life because of the love of Jesus Christ, because of one more child, because of First Orlando. Now, here's, here's the really hard part, is that Misty is not alone. Florida is the third largest hub for child sex trafficking in the nation. Um, we have mobile teams just like here at First Orlando at different parts all across the state of Florida and different states across the nation, even making a global impact where we're working with local law enforcement to federal law enforcement, all the way from the local sheriff's office to the FBI to come in 
and provide services, to be able to provide the love of Christ, to be able to meet the needs of those victims at their point of greatest need when those stings take place, and then to walk with them through their court cases and through the difficulty of that they've got to experience of testifying against their perpetrators. But the good news again now is our teams are not alone because of First Orlando, and you have joined the fight against child sex trafficking. And I'm not saying that here recently because David, I believe, is about 13 years ago, maybe it's 14. I sat in the office with David and I shared with him what was happening from a trafficking standpoint, and David said, We're in. We're all in. And, and First Orlando was the very first church to say, We're going to join the fight against child sex trafficking in your church acted as a catalyst for other churches to be able to step in so that we can provide this great love and care to those that most desperately need it. Now, not only was that 13 years ago, but I want to brag on David for just a second because you have a pastor um, that cares for the vulnerable, whether it's a child in foster care, whether it's a trafficking victim, or it's a single mom that's really experiencing difficulty with her kids, or a family that's just out there struggling. You have a pastor that cares for the vulnerable more than any I know. And so, David, thank you for wearing your heart out there, for placing that love of Christ out of force. We love David and Danny and love this church. And so, y'all, I get to make a really special announcement. It's a bold next step that... First Orlando and One More Child are making together is that we are going to be launching a drop-in center right here in Orlando. And you're going, wait a minute, wait, what's a drop-in center? This drop-in center is going to be located strategically. We've narrowed it down to two different zip codes in Orlando where the needs are the greatest for trafficking victims. It's along bus routes, so it's easily accessible where a victim or maybe they're already beginning to identify as a survivor can come to that center and they can be welcomed there by people who truly love them. They can be able to get a shower and get cleaned up and have hygiene needs met, to be able to have food to eat, to be able to sit with Misty and one of our clinicians, to be able to receive trauma-informed care and speak into their lives and be able to help them know the value that God has placed on their life so they can make that transition from a victim to a survivor, where they can make that transition, just like you and me, from one that doesn't know God to one that is dearly loved and adopted into God's family. And so, as a part of For Orlando, and you just heard Danny speaking about it, we're, this, your gifts to For Orlando will provide for this drop-in center and for the love of Jesus Christ to be carried all the way to what sometimes Jesus described as the least of these, but those that we know he values and that he loves so much more. So my question today is really how serious are we about caring for the vulnerable that are all around us, for those least of these? And as we begin to look at that question, I really want you to internalize it, to ask yourself that question. And some of you may have already checked out because you said, you know what, he's going to talk about caring for the vulnerable, and that's not my ministry. I, I do construction. That's for somebody in mercy. Um, that's for somebody with the gift of hospitality. But you know what? God called every one of us to care for the least of these. You know why I know that? Because Jesus did it. 
Jesus cared for the least of these. And if we're going to be like Jesus, then we need to care for those that Jesus cared for. So here's three things. As we care for the least of these, I want you to think about it. We need to see, we need to remember, and then we need to be. We need to see, we need to remember, and then we need to be. So first question, real simply, is how do we see people? Well, if I'm standing up here, I'm, I'm wearing my glasses, so I'm going to take my glasses off. And you know what? I, I see a lot of fuzzy people. I can't make out details. Y'all look very nice today, in fact. So, <laughs> yes, you do. Okay. So, but once I put my glasses back on, I, I get great clarity. I can see details. I can see a precious child sitting in this man's lap, but I couldn't have seen that before. And I can see all these specific details. And so, but how many of us need to put on our spiritual glasses so that when we're walking through our day every day, and I know you do this, right? We walk along and, and it's just like we don't have our glasses on. I'm walking past a blur of people because I never make eye contact. I don't really see details of what's happening in their lives. And so if I put my spiritual glasses on and I'll begin to see people as God sees them, as Jesus sees them. And then I go, you know what? I see needs that are right here too. I see a person that's hurting when I hurried past them before. I see a person that has a great need and it's a need that you and I can meet. And so as we do that, we need to put on our spiritual glasses and begin to see people. And you know what? There's so much at stake. I cannot tell you how many times my, my wife, Christy, and I have been working in, in child care, child welfare for decades. How many times a child has said to us, whether they were coming from a, a background of being abused or abandoned or trafficked, surely someone saw me. Surely someone saw what was happening to me, and they could have stepped in and done something about it. They could have stopped it. Surely someone saw me. You know, there's so much at stake that we just blur by so quickly, but we need to look at people and look them in the eye and see individuals. And then, of course, we've got to take action once we see, right? And I love what Jesus said in uh, John chapter 9, verse 1. It says, as Jesus was walking along, he saw a man. Now, I'm going to stop right there a minute. Jesus was walking along. He's always surrounded by tons of people, right? Blurs of people, crowds of people. But as he's walking along, what did he do? He saw a man. He looked and he saw one person. He looked at their eyes. When he saw this man who had been blind from birth, Rabbi, his disciples, asked him, why was this man born blind? Was it because of his own sins or because of his parents' sins? Man, the disciples asked quite a question, didn't they? I mean, it basically comes down, who sinned? Who did wrong, this man or his parents? Now, since I work in child care or child welfare, I'm going to say the parents, right? So I'll give you an example. When boys, my boys were growing up, they're all grown now. They're four and they were four and two years old, a little redhead and a blind head. And we were going to go to the mall for some mom time. And so Christy was going to do a little shopping. And what was my job? Watch the boys, right? Take care of the boys, somebody said. Well, so, and I was sitting on a bench. You remember those benches located kind of outside some of the mall, some of those buildings or some of the shopping areas. Um, and I'm sitting there and I'm not paying attention, obviously, because all of a sudden I hear a wail. I hear a cry. It says, ah, it's just earth shattering. 
and I turn around, and I'm on the second floor, and I see my two-year-old, and he's got his head stuck in between the banisters out looking over the first floor. Okay, so you know, mall, big open area, the banisters that look out so you can see what other shops are down there. My two-year-old, his head's stuck in there. My four-year-old's going to help. So Ben runs over, starts pulling, <laughs> pulling on his legs, and his ears are catching. Now he's crying even louder, and there's a crowd gathering on the first floor. And you know what they're doing? They stop. Now they're pointing. They're pointing up. And, and I'm running over there trying to pull Brady out, too, and I can't get his head out. I began, I don't know if they really did or not, but you know what I heard? As people were stopping their point, I began to hear a chant. It began softly. It began going, bad dad, bad dad, bad dad, bad dad, until the whole mall joined in. And, oh, oh my goodness, I was about to die. So finally, I picked Brady up to the middle of the banisters, where it's just a little bit wider. I couldn't tell and was able to slide him out. But people were judging me. I'm sure they had all kinds of narratives of what an awful dad I was. Uh, how I'd abandoned these kids or the, uh, all of those different pieces. But it's easy to begin to pass judgment, isn't it? It's be easy to, to assign blame. And you know what? I think that's, we're inclined to react that same way, aren't we? The same way the disciples did. We see a poor person on the street. We see a mom that's struggling. We see someone that's, um, they're really having a super tough time and it's obvious to tell. And what do you and I say? Maybe you don't say it. Maybe you just think it. But you think, I wonder what drug they're on. I wonder what would happen if they got a real job. I wonder what bad decision they made that put them in this place. Sounds a little bit like the disciples, doesn't it? Because we're problem solvers, aren't we? I mean, we want to go. We see a need. We're going to go, okay, I wonder what they did. We're going to diagnose it. And then how do we... Sometimes, how do we step in and help? Or sometimes it's just, how do we pass judgment and assign blame? You know, I think about that, and then I began to think about Adelie. Adelie is a single mom in Miami, and she was trying to take care of her kids. She was about to lose her housing. And so um, Adelie was struggling with breast cancer, which is very close to Christy and me because of Christy's struggle with breast cancer. But Adelie's pastor told her about One More Child Single Moms program. And so Adelie brought her kids into our care. We were able to provide her housing. We were able to get a scholarship for her so she could get English as a second language classes to help improve her English. Then we reached out to our friends at Publix and uh, were able to get her job working in the deli at Publix. And, and Adelie said, this is, my, this is my dream job, getting to work at the deli at Publix. And Adelie said this. She said, I give thanks to God for using one more child to help moms like me who come with many fears. How many moms are out there facing fears? How many families are facing fears and they're waiting for you and me to come alongside them without our narrative, without that construct that we put together of what their life is like and what they should have done, but we really began to see that person for who they are. So the disciples asked, who sinned? Whose fault was it, this man or his parents? You know what I love was Jesus dismantled that whole narrative in one statement. Jesus said, it was not because of his sins or because of his parents' sins, Jesus answered. This happened so the power of God could be seen in him. Wow, what a powerful statement. Nobody did wrong. 
This happened because God's power can be seen in this man. Jesus saw the person. He knew the story, but he saw God's power at work within that person. So what does that mean for you and me today? As we look out there and we, we see people that have needs, we need to put on our spiritual glasses and we need to look at them. And we need to focus in on what is that person's need, and then we'll talk about those next steps to how do we need it, how do we meet it. So we need to see people, and then we need to remember what God has done for us. Now, I have a stone in my pocket. You go, why are you carrying a stone in your pocket? I'm going to tell you about it here in just a minute. But how many of you were driving this week, or maybe it was last week, and you were driving a little bit too fast? You don't need to answer. I, I, don't put your hand down. I saw a finger go up. Maybe you're going five miles an hour over the speed limit. Maybe you're going lightweight. I was going 15 miles per hour over the speed limit, right? So what did you do? You got off the interstate. You went down to the first stoplight. You turned right. You went three blocks down. You turned left. And then you made one last ride into the parking lot of the police station. You walked up to the front desk of the police station. You said, officer, I was going 15 miles out over the speed limit. I deserve a citation. Will you write me a speeding ticket? Right? Some, in, no, nobody's done that, right? None of us want what we deserve. I, we see it from a spiritual standpoint too, right? The Bible says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. None of us want what we deserve, but what we want is grace. What we want is kindness. What we want is to be forgiven. I love what David Platt said. I'll paraphrase it just a little bit. He said, we serve children and families not because we are rescuers. We serve because we have been rescued. We're not problem solvers. We're not stepping in to fix it. We're serving over an outflow of abundance of what God has done for us. Well, in Joshua chapter 4, verse 2, the people of Israel had brought to cross back into the promised land, and they were going to cross the Jordan, and God dried up the Jordan River. They walked across the Jordan River, and God commanded Joshua, tell one from each tribe to go in and pick up a stone out of the middle of that river. Not a little stone. I mean a man stone, big stone. And so they walk across. They get these stones out of the river. They pile them up, and they become stones of remembrance. And the purpose was that then as the Israelites passed by those stack of stones, they would remember what God had done for them in walking across, uh, walking across the river. And not only for them, but for their children too. So this stone becomes a stone of remembrance of what God has done for me that I can know and I can put in place and tell my children. I, a verse that's become my favorite verse for this year it says, be sure to fear the Lord and serve him faithfully with all of your heart. Consider what great things he has done for you. Y'all, let's stop a minute. I wish we could take 10 minutes and just sit here and consider the great things God has done for me, for you. I mean, you could begin, and I hope you are, you're beginning to think, you know, God expressed his kindness to me in this way. God reached out and loved me. God forgave me of something that I did this morning, whatever it is. But we need to remember, and when we remember, we approach people differently, don't we? When we remember what God has done for me, 
I reach out to somebody in a different way. So we need to see, we need to remember, and then the final key is we need to be Jesus to those around us. Just simply be Jesus. And you're saying simply, wait a minute, I'm a person that's so full of flaws, so full of bad stuff. How can I be Jesus to those that are around me? But Jesus modeled it. In Matthew chapter 25, he said, the king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. And so when we think about the least of these, what do they all have in common? I mean, in Jesus' time today, I'll tell you two things the least of these all have in common. Every one of them have a need, right? And every one of those needs can be met by you and by me. That's what they all share in common. There's a need, and it's a need that you and I can meet if we're willing to be Jesus by meeting those needs. In Matthew chapter 15, Jesus called his disciples to him. And remember, he'd been out teaching for days. And he said, I have compassion on these people. They've already been with me three days and have nothing to eat. I don't want to send them away hungry or they might collapse. Man, I think about Jesus' love and compassion there. And he approached them with compassion, not judgment. And how would you and I have approached that? These people have been with me three days. I mean, surely if they knew they were going to be with me three days, they'd have put an extra peanut butter and jelly sandwich in. They'd have packed an extra kind bar and some bottles of water, and they'd brought food with them. But Jesus didn't judge them that way, did he? He looked out and he saw hungry people. He said, hey, we need to feed them. Isn't that you and me as the body of Christ? We see hungry people and we need to reach out and we need to feed them. And you and I are doing that as a church and as an organization. A number of years ago, I was driving along in East Texas. If you can picture it, it's kind of piney woods, kind of like the panhandle of Florida, but a little bit more hilly, a little more curvy. And as I'm driving down this country road, it's a two-lane rural road, I looked over and there was, like, there was a honky-tonk. That's all it was. And they were advertising the band for the night. It was ahead of marquee with the little plastic letters you put in. Uh, but the name of the band was Wasted Grace. And I, at first I chuckled. I'm kind of dry. I thought, man, that's kind of a fun name. But then I began to think about the young men and the young women that were a part of that band. And that they would identify as Wasted Grace. Because of what they've been through, because of their life trajectory, because of where they were going or what they were doing. But y'all, it hurt even more because then I began to internalize. I began to ask God, how much grace have you wasted on me? How much grace has God wasted on you? Right? When I knew I should do something and I didn't do it, and God wasted his grace on me. I knew that I shouldn't do something and did it, and God wasted his grace on me. And how many times has God wasted grace, just kept pouring it out over and over again? I contrast that with measured grace, right? Measured grace versus wasted grace. And how do I respond to people? A lot of times I respond to people with measured grace. Okay, I'm going to see how you do with this, 
And then depending on how that is, I might give you more. But if you don't, I'm going to pull it back. Yeah, that's measured grace, isn't it? What if God worked with you and me that way? It'd be terrible, wouldn't it? But God's calling me. God's calling you to waste grace on others, to give more and more and more as we approach and as we think about others. I think about that wasted grace. I think about God's extravagant grace. It really is, isn't it? God's been extravagant in giving that wasted grace to you and me. I think about extravagant grace. I think about Lydia. Lydia had a life story like Misty's. From the ages of 9 to 17, Lydia was trafficked uh, for sex. Uh, she had a very dysfunctional family. And at the age of 17, she came into our care. And because of the help of First Orlando, and our staff began to gather around her, began to work with her through the trauma that she had been through, just began expressing God's love to her in tangible ways, but also in words, from food to protection to clothing. Lydia came to know Jesus Christ as her Savior. And at the age of 20, I, we, we were able to transition Lydia into an incredible Christian foster family. And then at the age of 20, that foster family, as an adult, that foster family adopted Lydia to be a part of their forever family. Isn't that so great? That's extravagant grace, but it doesn't just end there because Christy and I were working in uh, Thailand this past summer, and we're in the streets of Thailand, and Christy receives a text from Lydia, and it was her walking across USF graduation stage, graduating with her bachelor's because she's about to start her master's degree. Now, I've got to tell you, she wasn't walking across stage. The video actually shows her dancing across the stage joyfully because of the extravagant grace God had poured out on her. But that extravagant grace that God's poured out on Lydia is no different than the extravagant grace God has poured out on you and on me. And so if you've never experienced God's grace if you don't know that tonight, if something were to happen to you before you even walk out of the room, where you'd spend an eternity, I want to invite you right now to ask Jesus Christ in your heart. Because we know God loved us so much that he gave his only son, Jesus, to die on a cross for you and for me so that he could waste that grace on us and we could be adopted into his family to spend an eternity with a heavenly father that no matter who your father is here, but a heavenly father who loves you, who cares for you, who's going to protect you for an eternity. If you've never done that, I want to invite you right now just to bow your head and close your eyes and say, God, I know I've sinned. I know I've done wrong in your sight. God, please forgive my sin. I don't, I don't want to do it anymore. Jesus, please come into my heart and be my Lord and be my Savior. And if you prayed that, in that instant, Jesus Christ came into your life and you've been adopted into God's family. That doesn't mean everything's going to be easy or everything's going to be perfect now, but you're surrounded by a group of people who love you and who are walking that same journey with you. And all of us on that journey, y'all, we need to make sure that we see people through God's lens. We need to make sure that we remember, oh my goodness, all that God has done for you and for me. 
And then we, we very simply need to be Jesus to the least of these that are all around us. Thanks again for listening to the First Orlando Podcast. For more information like our service times, location, and other contact information, be sure to visit us online at firstorlando.com. Have a great week.